0: Welcome to another episode of C.C.'s World Glad to be at the beautiful Birmingham Botanical Gardens today to uh, record this episode. Great landscape. Great landscape. First term of Joseph R. Biden being president of the United States of America. What a heck of a week it's been. We've gone from um, gone from the far right to the to the to the center right when it comes to our president. And uh, folks it's something. I want to talk about what the Biden administration is already already doing. That's it's not too good, right? And you know, there's a lot of things that you can you can point to. A lot of people want to point to um, again, as always, cultural issues. That uh, you know, I'm here to have a discussion about those. But uh, what is important is the economic issues in my opinion, uh, in this moment, one of the most important things is the economic issues that we face. And uh, let's talk about But Joe Biden's relief plan foresees the checks as a mere $1,400 supplement to the $600 payments that have already been signed off by President Trump. So President Biden is essentially saying that instead of $2,000 checks, which was essentially the pitch that they made in Georgia... They are going to just do $1,400 on top of the 16, uh, 600 that we've already gotten. And some Georgia voters have been, this is from the, the Daily Mail, by the way, it's a United Kingdom newspaper. Some Georgia voters have been left unimpressed by what they see as a semantic trickery. With one person who canvassed for Democrats saying, he felt he had lied to people when he promised them 2,000 checks. He said, uh, this is from a gentleman named Rogelio rog- rog- Linares. the an individual who canvassed for the Democrats in Georgia, saying, I'm a man of principle and morals, and I feel like shit. He feels like shit, folks. This is a organizer on the ground who told people, hey, he says, at the doors, I was literally telling people, $2,000 checks, you can rely on this, he said. And another voter who supported Asaf and Warnock, Rachel Kahn, said she felt the $2,000 promise had been misleading. In my opinion, on a person as a person who does marketing, advertising, and public communications, that's my job. I would confidently say that their messaging implied on an additional 2000 not- Two thousand minus six hundred, she said. Another person, Oscar Zaro, another Democrat voter, said many people in his district had turned out for us and won up because of the promise two thousand. They really underestimate just how much people are hurting economically. Zaro said of the Congressional Democrats. So that's one thing. Right, and for for me, it's like if they don't deliver on that, and you see a situation where they they end up perhaps losing the uh, the midterms in twenty twenty two. Don't say I ain't tell you so, folks. But this is what it is. This is this is how it works. Right, you have a situation where one party will have the majority in both houses of Congress and the White House. And then they failed to execute on the promises they delivered to the American people. Prime example is also Trump, right? We look at Trump in 2016, made a lot of very populist policy promises to the people. And then once he got into office, he started hiring people from Goldman Sachs and uh, and people that were, you know, your traditional neocon. uh, economist. And, uh, in 2020 uh, or 2018, Democrats took the house back. I, I told a friend last night, Democrats took the house back in 2018, not just because orange man bad, but because orange man did not deliver on the promises that he made to many of the American people. And this is a cycle folks that happens. Where they will, this is how it's going to go the next two years, I can guarantee you. One, they're going to say, you shouldn't, they're going to say, now, I'm already being too hard on Biden by even questioning the idea that he's not going to give people $2,000 checks when that's exactly what they told people, right? Because here's the thing, there's an argument to be made that they actually meant $1,400 in addition to the 600 bucks. But hey, that's not how you told people. You told people $2,000. And the ideas, like this lady said, who's from Georgia, it is $2,000 in addition to what they've already gotten. You know? They are turning out to be liars if they do not put $2,000 in the checks uh, or in the hands of many Americans. Many people will see them as liars. And many people will remember this come 2022. And if the Republicans can get their crap together, and put together a a united front somehow in 2022, guess what, man? Republicans might take back the House or Senate. You know? And ah, this idea that you can't criticize the Democrats now because, first off, it's too early. You got to give them time okay, we've given them time. We're going to give them time. And then by about 2021, they're going to be like, well, you can't really uh, criticize them because the Republicans, it's just going to help the Republicans if you criticize them. And then after 2022, once they failed the American people probably many times, as they already are, and Republicans end up taking back one side of the Congress, they will say... Oh, you can't criticize Democrats now because you're just helping the Republicans uh, and their agenda. Folks, this is how it works. This is how the agenda goes when you have, you know, your, your standard Democrats in office. Things certainly would have been different with another president. I think with someone who was a little bit more of a populist than Joe Biden. But we've been down this road many times on this podcast and it is what it is. We have Joseph R. Biden as our president. We've got Kamala Harris as our vice president. Both of them are very, 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 very uh, disappointing in their policies, and that's uh, that's what I'm about. So, another another uh, story I want to cover. Lloyd Austin. Lloyd Austin has become the first African American Secretary of Defense in the history of the United States. Good for him, huh? President-elect Joe Biden's choice to the Defense Secretary, retired general. This is from The Hill. Retired General Lloyd Austin stands to make up to $1.7 million when he leaves the Board of Defense contractor Raytheon Technologies Corporation. If he's confirmed, according to the uh, to his financial disclosure firms, which he was confirmed. The disclosures released Sunday do not give an exact value of Austin's stock holdings, Related to his position on Raytheon's board of directors, but placed the range from about 800,000 to about 1.75 million. In ethics forms, Austin pledged to fully divest from Raytheon within 90 days of being confirmed, as well as to rescue himself from decisions involving the company for a year or recuse himself. From decisions involving the company for a year, unless a Pentagon ethics official determines the need for its participation outweighs the perception of a conflict of interest. So, of course, folks are not very happy about the idea of uh, this gentleman coming right from Raytheon, which is a defense contractor. Folks, so they uh, Raytheon is a company that is uh, is known for making military equipment and different, uh, weapon systems. And so the idea that, you know, again, they, they do have this whole, um, process that you can go through at the defense department to essentially assure that there isn't a conflict of interest in their eyes, but folks, we, we know what it is. Okay. Like no matter what the defense department says, there will most likely be a conflict of interest because guess what, Raytheon's still going to be contracted by the U.S. Department of Defense, even under Lord Austin. And so it, it's incredible to me, folks, that we're in a situation where folks are just like, hey, we got a first African-American Secretary of Defense and not not one critique of his record or, or what has what taken place Since he's left the military and now that he is Secretary of Defense, what that could mean going forward. I am here to rage against anyone who comes from a major corporation and goes right into government work, which is, and and he came from government first, right? He goes from being a general to going to Raytheon to going back to the Defense Department. Folks, the idea that there's not going to be any uh, conflict of interest there is insane. All right, because time after time after time after time, we've seen this happen across various uh, parties and, and various administrations and various departments in the executive branch. Jack, Janet Yellen is another example. Right, they're making a major deal because she's the first woman to lead the the Department of the Treasury. Well, guess what? She has like openly took in donation, I'll take, uh, took in, taken donations. Oh, take taken donations from and uh, speaking fees, major speaking fees, from Wall Street banks, from Goldman Sachs, from Lehman Brothers. The idea that they're going to, I believe Lehman actually may may have closed down back in 2008, but the point is, folks, the idea that the people that are going to be overseeing the legislation that affects those corporations and those companies and those banks are getting paid by those corporations and those banks is a major conflict of interest. And what's sad is like the Biden administration has put forward a basically like a a a process to or a commitment to saying, all right, if you Join the administration. You can't have uh, worked or lobbied for any uh, major corporations. But guess who makes the decision on whether or not someone gets a waiver to join the administration or not? Or to lobby after they leave the administration? Janet Yalen. Janet Yalen determines whether or not someone can leave the administration from Biden's uh, team and go to lobby immediately. Odds are... I can guarantee you Janet probably has a price tag on that, on that waiver. I can guarantee you folks. Folks, last week, uh, I talked about 14 policy priorities to heal the nation, a moral and economic agenda for the first 100 days. So, after I've railed against the Biden administration for the past 15 minutes, I'd like to also discuss. Those are my issues with the Biden administration at the gate, folks. It's just inconsistency. They've lied to people. They lied to the voters of Georgia. That's what it is. They lied to them, folks, because they lied to a lot of people thinking that we were going to get $2,000 separate from $600. But they're making it as though it would just be an additional 1400 on top of the $600. That is a bold face lie that they gave, or a very cloak-and-dagger type of lie where they tried to hide it. But folks, that's it's very dirty. It's very dirty. And I'm here to hold them accountable. I don't know about y'all. Alright, I mean, John Asoff, I knew he was a moderate Democrat in the sense of, like, he wasn't going to really make... The dude made an interview where he basically, like, stood against Medicare for All, stood against every progressive priority and then Reverend Warnock has spoken a lot about progressive ideas in the sense of like very vague terms, the idea of like we need health care for all, we need we need to assure, you know, the poor is in the streets and all these things. But I think that when it comes to taking political positions, he's gonna be very moderate and goddamn it, moderate Democrats have uh, have not been uh have not been the makers of progress in our country in the past few decades. You know? And I'm not sure if they're going to really be that one, the, the ones to do it this time around either. But the Poor People's Campaign, a national call for moral revival. I wanted to spend really the rest of the episode going over these policy priorities. So I went over these policy, or at least I went through these policy priorities with you guys very quickly at the beginning of last episode. But now I'd like to really go into details on what they mean by each of these, right? So, the Poor People's Campaign, which is led by the William, uh, the Reverend William, Doctor William, the Reverend Doctor William J. Barber II, the Reverend Doctor Liz the- Theo Harris, and uh, Shelly Gupta Barnes and Josh Bivens. Moral policy equals good economics. How about that? So I'm going to just read off a uh, a PDF that they have explaining their policy positions. And these are 14 priorities that they would like to see the Biden administration take up within their first 100 days. So they say uh, on behalf of the 140 million poor and low income people in this country. The Poor People's Campaign, a national call for moral revival, and our 45 state coordinated committees, thousands of religious leaders, scholars, economists, advocates, and hundreds of supporting organizations insist the following policies from the Poor People's Jubilee Platform take precedence during the first 50 to 100 days of the new administration and the 117th Congress. Our policy priorities. One, enact comprehensive, free, and just COVID-19 relief. By that, they mean mandate the collection and monitoring and reporting of the impact of the pandemic by race, ethnicity, income, occupation, geography, and in high-risk congregate settings. Equitable and free COVID-19 testing, treatment, and quality care, including mental health care, that's big, and safety-tested vaccines. Regardless of income, age, ability, documentation status, insured status, or any other factor, first, access to vaccines must be guaranteed to low-wage frontline workers, as well as healthcare workers, the elderly and the most vulnerable. A targeted plan to guarantee access and education around the safety and efficacy of vaccines Especially for poor and low-income communities, and that's that's important, folks, because we, and it is in low-income areas where we see the most skepticism for a vaccine, and often it is surrounded by a lack of facts, a lack of truth in that community, right? A guaranteed and adequate income, including rapid and direct payments to all low-income, low-wage, low-wage and temporary workers for the duration of their crisis. I'm with you there, folks. A national rent freeze and mortgage moratorium, which uh, I believe Biden's actually signed into place for a few months, but uh, as well as a national moratorium on utility shutoff, that's big, without credit penalties, increase the impact of food and economic security programs like SNAP, WIC, CTC, EITC by raising the minimum allocations and expanding eligibility. Resources to keep all rural hospitals and community centers open, with an infusion of resources to Indian health services. I believe that's uh, Native American health services. What they meant there, but um, permanent protections for security, SSI, SSDI. Medicare and Medicaid, emergency OSHA standards in mental health facilities, prisons, detention centers, juvenile detention centers, and other congregate settings. Suspension of the CBD, which is the, uh, I believe that is the, Border Patrol and ICE enforcement, and ensuring all emergency provisions to made, uh, are made to immigrants, including undocumented people. And so what they mean by that is essentially they don't want the priority to be sending people out of the country in the middle of a pandemic, because if, if you put resources more toward assuring the pandemic can be taken care of first, then you'll be in a situation where that can be taken care of in, in a lot, uh, more it's kind of safe way, right, in a safe environment. And, and that goes for not just the, the immigrants, right? They're not just trying to, you know, and, and a lot of people will, will, will take this as, oh, they're just trying to keep illegal uh, immigrants in the country. No, that's not true, right? What the main focus is, really, is assuring that there is a safe process that this is taken care of. That there is a process where not only the uh, undocumented uh undocumented citizens or excuse me, I said citizen, the undocumented workers or individuals are taken care of well but also assuring that ice and border patrol agents aren't put at risk trying to do their job in a way that isn't the most efficient right and that is that is their right. Increased support for public schools to provide contain, uh, excuse me, continuous, equitable, and quality remote learning access for the duration of any school closures, including for children with disabilities, and for schools to continue to provide social services for qualifying children and family. Student debt relief. This is something that Biden can take care of himself. Mostly through executive order. And uh, it's something that I, of course, support because as a student, I definitely could use some debt relief, Mr. President. But uh, and then the last measure for uh, for COVID-19, they say these measures must remain in place until the economic or the economy recovers from the bottom up. And we are guaranteed health care, housing and adequate incomes for all. Two, guarantee quality health care for all, regardless of any pre-existing condition. This begins with expanding Medicaid in every state, securing Medicare, working towards enacting a public universal health care option, and building up our public health infrastructure. Here's the thing that's tough about this. Biden has already backed off of a public option plan. He began his his campaign talking about a public uh, option. A public option. <clears throat> of course, when the primary is over and you have candidates saying we want to give free health care to everybody, he backs off of the public option, which is kind of a half ass measure of doing uh, universal health care. And so he's half-assing the half ass measure, pass. Three, raise the minimum wage to $15 an hour immediately. That's something that Biden has said he's going to do. I believe that uh, he plans to do it for federal workers and federal contractors. I'm not sure if he's gonna do it for the entire country. We wait to see. Four, update the poverty measure. This is big. A new measure must replace the current poverty line to accurately reflect current conditions of poverty and economic insecurity. The new measure must take into account race, age, familial status, ability, geography, and sexual orientation, and establish a new basis for eligibility appropriations and the allocation of resources. That's big. Because, folks, I think that the poverty line is at $12,000 a year. And I'm sorry, folks, but there are people that make more than $12,000 a year that are still in poverty. And uh, we certainly have to raise the minimum kind of poverty line that we, we, we have because there's so many people that have fallen through the cracks where they don't qualify for assistance programs, and they aren't in a situation where... They can uh, effectively get help from 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 some of the even the organizations that may be around, because uh, in some instances, folks, charity is not the only or best option for people. Sometimes government needs to step in and ensure that uh, people can be at least not on the street, at least in a situation where they have food on the table every night, at least assuring they have a warm place, right. And these are the type of things that are sure to have health care as well, right? These are the things that the Biden administration can do without Congress, right? These are, these are things that can be done, at least uh, with the poverty measure. I believe that's something the president can do through executive order, or at least through the Department of uh, Treasury and Labor. Number five, guarantee quality housing for all. Expand public and affordable housing and rental assistance. Stop all foreclosures of evictions immediately. Enact a rent freeze, including stopping all increases in rent and cancel rent and mortgage payments that cannot be paid. Move the burden of proof off of renters and households that are facing eviction to the financial interests that are seeking evictions. That's big. That's big. That last line is big. The burden of proof should be on the people who are trying to evict someone, not on the person that is trying to uh, make that payment. Number six, enact a federal jobs program to build up investments, infrastructure, public institutions, climate resilience, energy efficiency, socially beneficial industries, and jobs in poor and low-income communities. Folks, this is big because this is something that President Trump promised and did not deliver. So, hey, Biden, because, you know, here's the thing. This Biden administration is pretty much set on being, you know, anti-Trump within the first few weeks here, right? Doing everything in the reverse of what he did. So why not Right? Why not do something that would make jobs and training for millions of Americans and put toward a situation where we could truly see a need to deal prioritize rural and urban areas that have been Hit by de- uh, deindustrialization, climate disasters, and economic crisis, invest in socially beneficial sectors, care economy, healthcare, long term care, <laughs> teaching, service sectors, environmentally sustainable infrastructure jobs that expand and leave traffic, public and affordable housing, water, sanitation uh, systems, public transit, utilities, and broadband access. Sustainable food production and distribution. Expand healthcare and public health infrastructure, training, and capacity, including rural hospitals and community care clinics, nursing capacity, EMTs, long-term care, mental health, and substance abuse. Convert vacant properties into affordable public housing. So many vacant properties in this city, especially here in Birmingham. I can imagine if we started to use some of these just to find the hell out of and but raising the rent rub prices everyone else in the area wants to make sure people actually have a place to stay and they can't afford it prepare and re to energy-efficient and climate resilient and otherwise build up teachers and school capacity. cultural training the production of art, music, and cultural work training and placement in ICTRD and automation This includes, uh, or number seven, protect and expand voting rights and civil rights. This is big. This includes a restoration of the Voting Rights Act and a pre clearance formula that applies to the formerly covered VRA jurisdictions as well as any states that have passed voter suppression laws since 2013. And that's since Shelby V. Holder, right? Making Election Day uh, a holiday. Now, there are some people that have mixed feelings about making Election Day a holiday. And I don't know how I feel about it either, because there's a point that was raised that I noticed that is an interesting point, And that is, if you make Election Day a holiday, you will have people choosing between going into work still to get maybe extra holiday pay. And also, with it being a holiday, it could be hard for people to have uh, child care. And, you know, places to assure that their loved ones are taken care of while they go vote. So these are concerns that I think we have to have, too. Um, I would support the idea of a holiday, but you also have to. Man, it's tough. You, you have to assure that people again, you have to assure people have a place to put their kids and you have to assure that there is isn't a situation where people are saying, hey, I can make additional money by staying and not voting. Why do I vote? This is why I think a universal basic income would help, right? Because if you have a UBI, people are saying, well, I get an extra $1,000 a month from my government anyways. Bump the extra pay on holiday. Let's go vote. But uh, the, sec- the next uh, policy in-, in-, in protecting and expanding voting rights and civil rights, ensuring uh, the formerly and currently incarcerated the right to vote. I'm big on that too, folks. Unless you've murdered someone. I don't think you should be having your vote, the uh, right to vote taken away. And the reason why I think uh, unless you voted, uh, you murdered someone is because in my mind, I say you took someone else's right to vote away. So yours should be taken away, too. I'll give him that. When it comes to the folks that uh, do think that people who are incarcerated should have voting rights taken away. Only those that have been convicted of murder in a way without um, any doubt. Right. And without any. And there's no doubt in the sense of who did it. But anyone who's incarcerated, anyone who uh, is formerly incarcerated, should absolutely be able to vote. Other than those, like I said, who who may have taken the right to vote from someone else, right? Ensuring a comprehensive census count, that's big because sometimes there is, uh, at least I know under Trump's administration, he uh, would not count certain people. And he also wouldn't count illegal uh, immigrants, right? Or uh undocumented immigrants, I should say. And folks, that is uh that's a very dumb decision, right? Because to not count everyone in our country is to say, Hey, there's X amount of people that just they aren't they aren't counted and we don't even know how many people are in our country. That's just dumb Trump. I'm sorry guy, but you should have done that. That was not a very smart decision. But he's gone now, folks. So Biden, make sure you have a comprehensive census count. Examining the need to expand the Supreme Court. And uh, I have mixed feelings about that because I think that can come back to bite Democrats if they do that. Setting an aggressive plan to appoint federal judges. Appointing an attorney general with a fully staffed and committed civil rights division. Would have been nice if Doug Jones was the... Attorney General, he probably would have done that. Extending statehood to Washington, D.C. That's it. Folks would not be very happy about that because they say, hey, well, Democrats will always have uh, a seat because that's a very blue district. Well, folks, do better on policy. That's how you win elections. That goes for the right and the left. Last but not least, police and criminal justice reform based on the demands of grassroots organizations and communities, including this campaign, the Poor People's Campaign, who are most erog- uh wow, that's a word that I'm gonna skip, folks. Impacted by, who are the most impacted by police violence and mass incarceration and abuses of police power. Number eight, guarantee safe, quality and equitable public education Supports for protection against resegregation. That's big because uh, during this time we need to assure that there's only, they say that they, they should have online and remote learning to all students, right? In this current moment, we need that. Social programs and services to poor families, increased support for students with disabilities and ESL programs, teacher administration support, infrastructure and technology upgrades, arts and culturally. Cultural extracurricular curricular activities. Wow, that's big, folks. Because we want to assure that uh, one. what well, here's one thing that's big: teacher and admin support. That's big. People want to say, okay, their schools are just bad, right? Because they're bad, or they're they're bad uh, because they're under uh, under uh, understaffed and underfunded. That's the main thing, right? They're understaffed and underfunded. But also, like, if they're funded, we have to assure that funding is going in the right places. Right. And sometimes we have a situation where they uh they overallocate resources in schools to some to areas that don't help the students or the the administration or the teachers of the uh, of a school system or of a school, and that just leads to worse problems. Number nine, comprehensive and just immigration reform in the building of the Southern Wall, which I believe is also a waste of money and time because we could be Uh, patrolling our border in a lot more efficient way, decriminalize or demilitarize immigration and border enforcement, repeal mandatory detention, deportation, child detention, and family separation, something that Biden said he was going to do. And, uh, hey, we're going to see, folks, because uh, it started under the Obama administration, right? And then Trump continued it, and they made it like it was all him, And uh, I was very critical of that policy under Obama, under Trump, and I will continue to be critical of that policy under Biden. Establish a special task force to identify and reunite families, ensure regular and timely access to legal documentation and residency, make immigrants eligible for public welfare and social programs. Now that's big. A lot of people say, well, if you're a... uh If you're an American citizen, you should be able to get those. But if you're not, then you shouldn't. But that's not fair, right? Because here's the thing. There's a lot of people that will come to this country, have done nothing wrong, qualify for citizenship, not become a citizen, though, because the process can take so long. And during that time, they're struggling financially. I absolutely believe that if you come to this country and you are approved for citizenship or you are in the process of getting citizenship and it's going well, right, at a certain point, they need to say, well, hey. We, You look like you're on track to become a citizen. We're gonna help you out by starting to assure that you can get, Medicare can get services, uh, social safety net services, that will assure that you aren't on the street and that your family isn't struggling uh, more than they should be, right? More than they already are. 10, ensure all of the rights of indigenous people. Protect the rights and sovereignty of First Nations, Native Americans, and Alaskan Natives including the free expansion of religion, sacred lands and practices. This includes protecting Oak Flats, the sacred land of the Apache people the Apache people excuse me, in Arizona from being destroyed, and the water source contaminated by the extractive mining company Resolution Copper. This devastation will prevent the Apache stronghold from exercising their right to the free expansion of their religion and must be stopped immediately. That's big. That's big. Number 11, enact taxes. I'm here for that. I've railed against the way our tax system works for many years, folks. But enact fair taxes on the wealthy corporation in Wall Street by repealing the 2017 tax law provisions that reduce the top marginal tax rate. Folks, they're talking about the tax bill that the Republicans passed, that Trump passed, and this is a part of the reason why they lost the midterms 100%, folks, because they put forward a tax bill where 80% of the benefits went to the top, really they say about 88% of the benefits, but I'm going to be generous, say 80% of the benefits went to the top 1% in our economy, folks. And folks want to point to, well, hey, our taxes went down for the bottom 20% of the the, uh, the bottom, uh, like low-income and middle-class in- uh, middle Americans too. Yes, your income taxes that the trump administration passed in 2025 though you know whose income taxes don't end until many many years from now those that are at the top wall street major corporations number 12 use the power of executive orders mr president you can use the power of executive orders to meet those demands and uh, that means reversing all executive orders of the previous administration that have been uh, extra exacerbated systematic racism, poverty, and denial of health care, unjust immigration enforcement, and climate devastation. It also means issuing new executive orders, especially around debt relief. Mr. President, you can do it without Congress, including medical debt, housing debt, water utilities debt, and student debt, relieving municipal debt and bonds for local and state governments and fiscal crisis, waiving all interest payments. That's big because that last line relieving municipal debt for bonds and local state governments in fiscal crisis. That's big, folks, because we see so many municipal governments that will overcharge on penalties and on fees, court fees and these things, uh, and 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 overcharge on, you know, like tickets and over-ticket, right, over-allocate uh, resources to assuring people get tickets in that day. Uh, end up leading to, you know, areas where there isn't adequate reinforcement uh, of certain communities. They do this because they're in trouble financially. And they've got to get people on that misturn or that missignal, signal light in order to be able to get the money to take care of themselves, to get paid themselves, the police officers, right? Number 13, redirect the bloated Pentagon budget towards these priorities as matters of national security. And they say these resources must be moved away from the war economy, which is big. Because, folks, ever since ever since we pretty much left World War II, we've been in a constant situation where we've been at war. And, and economically, at least, because we've constantly uh, had a situation where, like, we spend more money on allocating resources toward uh, major corporations that make weapons, tanks, bullets, bombs, planes, instead of putting it in places that could uh, really improve the lives of the American people here at home. We spend more money funding terror groups themselves and funding uh, countries that fund terror groups themselves or that use the resources we give them as terrorism Or we ourselves have terrorized some people uh, in the way that we use uh, our military. And folks, we got to do better. We got to do better. That starts with changing the amount of money that we spend on, on on, on the military. But also, like, we have to shift our economy to be one where we aren't reliant on being in war to continue our economy, right? Like that's kind of where we've been at for, like, 50 years, folks. Where we constantly have to be at war or our economy might tank. That's tough, folks. That's an empire. That's not what America's supposed to be. Last but not least, folks, 14 worked with the Poor People's Campaign to establish a permanent presidential council to advocate for this bold agenda. These resources must be moved away from the war economy and to put fight... Toward uh, COVID 19 and poverty, invest in healthcare, jobs, infrastructure, education, and more. This also includes ending the provision of military grade equipment and training to local and state law enforcement. Instead, why don't you try and ensure that there's more mental health workers going toward these communities instead of? to fire shots. Folks, I'm very excited about the next few years, and I've expressed this many times because even though, look, the the podcast over the next year and the next few years are going to be very sad to listen to. Because I'm going to be pointing out the failures of the Biden administration and how they're very similar to the Obama, uh, to the Trump administration, the Obama administration, the Bush administration, the Clinton administration, so on, so on, so on. We've been in this deck, uh, this, this, this cycle of uh, two parties that work for the same groups of uh, very elites and, and rich individuals. And uh, we'll, we'll see, you know, you can't criticize the Democrats because it helps the Republicans. That's dumb. That's that's dumb, folks. Anyone who tells you you shouldn't criticize a government official, like, I don't want to throw in violence, we're not going to say that. But, like, just know that I'm, I, I, I have very angry thoughts when someone tells me not to criticize government officials. That is our job as citizens. And it is their job to listen to us and to do as we demand. And do what is best according to us, not according to their big donors in their pockets. And ultimately, like, it, it also must be somewhat, uh, it must be determined to do what's best for the American people according to uh, the facts and data, right? That's Andrew Yang's argument. And guess what, folks? Excuse me. According to the facts and data, continuing to give millions of dollars to major corporations and tax cuts and, 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 and all these, uh, Big contracts that we get out. That isn't the way to do it, folks. That isn't the way better Over the past 30 minutes, I've gone over the Poor People's Campaign 14 priorities for the first 50 to 100 days for the President of the United States, Joe Biden, and the new Congress, the 117th Congress. Get to work, folks get to work, folks. And when I say get to work, I don't mean just Congress and just the president. I mean you too, folks, that are listening to this. When I saw that there was a 28th Amendment proposal to get money out of politics this past week, I hopped out of my bed and I immediately started emailing my representatives and my senators, both in the state and national level. Folks, we have to start advocating and start getting out our voices to make sure that what's best for the future of this country and for us, it takes place in Washington, it takes place in our state capitals, and it takes place in our city halls. The only way we can make that happen is by making our voices heard. And folks, the only way you can really make it happen is by not being afraid to call them out when they are failing, just like I just did when it comes to Biden administration and it comes to the, uh, the 117th Congress in the way that they already are failing, too. The Senate Democrats are saying hey we're going to try to do a power sharing agreement where in which Republicans will uh, will have equal say on committees hey I don't think Mitch would have been this generous with a 50-50 majority probably not or 51-50 majority with the vice president that's what the Democrats have folks they have a 50-50 we have a 50-50 Senate and we have one vote with Kamala Harris as the uh, as the majority I'm excited about the future like I said folks ourselves too I hope you all have a great week I hope I didn't depress you too much (laughs) I hope I encouraged you here at the end to do the work to assure we have a better country folks and that we have a better society because the only way we can do it is through advocacy and through our own organization mobilization right folks have a good one I'll talk to you next week. Folks, I'm coming back to say one more thing. There's a great quote, and this goes back to the Lloyd Austin situation, the, the new Secretary of Defense, this African-American gentleman. Dr. Victoria Dooley, who is a uh, public health doctor and uh, physician, and she makes a great tweet, right? I'm just going to say this toward the end and, and get out of here. Diversity is important, but not at the expense of policy. Diversity is important, but not at the expense of policy. That's an African-American woman saying that. So keep that in mind, folks, going forward. Have a good one.